Welcome to 28 Days Later. My name's Steve Wharton. Together with Natalie Wilson and some guest presenters, we'll be taking you on adventures around the north of England, exploring its landscape and heritage. After my tramp over to the birthplace of the Brontes in Thornton Village, on the outskirts of Bradford in episode 17, I'm on to my second location with a link to the literary family. No, not Haworth, lovely as it is. Today I'm in Cowan Bridge, which sits on the A65 in the northeastern spur of Lancashire, sandwiched between Cumbria and North Yorkshire. And here it is that four of the Bronte sisters came to boarding school. Maria and Elizabeth were enrolled in July 1824, with Charlotte and Emily joining them in August and November respectively. The reason that Patrick, their father, had brought them here was that this school had been set up as a school for clergymen's daughters. The benevolent founder, Reverend Carus Wilson, was well aware of the meagre income some clergymen had, and it was usual that the sons of these poor families would have the priority in receiving an education over any daughters. To redress the balance, Reverend Wilson founded a school for girls, funded by his own purse and contributions from like-minded friends, including the MP and abolitionist William Wilberforce. There's a fascinating and comprehensive account of life at the school on brontyschoolhouse.com, which is the website for the holiday cottage that sits in the middle of the now-partitioned schoolhouse, and to whom I'm indebted for my information. I'll gloss over any further details about the Brontes at this school for now, except to say that it was no surprise, at the time, for such a place to suffer epidemics, which included typhus and consumption, or TB. Maria and Elizabeth Bronte both succumbed to TB, despite Reverend Carus Wilson packing them off for recuperative holidays in his Silverdale home. Maria was sent home to Haworth in February 1825, but died in May. Elizabeth went home later that month and Patrick Bronte retrieved his surviving daughters from the school in June, just 12 days before Elizabeth also died. Despite the poor conditions in the school, by 1827 there were 75 pupils and a further 20 on the waiting list. In 1833, the clergy daughters' school relocated a few miles north to purpose-built premises in Casterton, and that's where I'm going to walk now. I didn't see the path I'm taking marked on my OS map, but if you cross over the road from the school heading north, you can walk through a field parallel to the road. It's been a bit nippy overnight recently, and there's some great crunchy ice sounds around. In the grand tour of the Bronte country, fans might visit Cowan Bridge because it was the inspiration for Lowood in Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. A hidden local link I've found relates to Charlotte's pen name, Curra Bell. Curra is thought to have been taken from Francis Mary Richardson Curra, a wealthy benefactor of the clergy daughter school and possibly a personal donor to Patrick Bronte. It's an unusual name, but it pops up in the list of vicars at Tunstall Church. In fact, Reverend Henry Currer Wilson 
succeeded Caris Wilson as vicar at St Michael's, as it was, in 1828. A little after the Bronte girls' time there, but an interesting coincidence nonetheless. I'm on the old Roman road now, which passes Tunstall Church to the south of us, crosses fields up to the Bronte's old school, and now survives as a proper tarmac superhighway. I've just caught sight of Ingleborough, Yorkshire's iconic flat-topped mountain. Now, having acted as chauffeur when my girlfriend and her sister did the Dale's Way, it reminds me that the Denthead Viaduct is just the other side of those hills, where my son and I explored whilst they did the rest of the day's walk from Camhouses. And suddenly, by being in the landscape, a line from Jane Eyre has been unlocked. My dear children, pursued the black marble clergyman. The black marble clergyman being Mr Brocklehurst, head of Lowood School, and a character based on Caris Wilson. I've seen this description explained as Jane comparing him to the stone surround of a fireplace, or an element of architecture incongruous to Victorian design. I'll bet it's much simpler and earthier than that, though. Denthead Viaduct and the Artengill Viaduct, which carry the settled Carlisle train line, are both made from black marble, local marble, Dentdale marble. Now, Dent marble isn't true marble, but limestone, a type that, it was discovered in the 1760s, could take a really good polish, and there was growing demand for black marble from around Dent, Sedbur and Garsdale, and whereas it can be dressed up to look the part, it is in itself quite plain and unremarkable. So perhaps Charlotte is describing Mr Brocklehurst as a fake, and I wonder if that description might have been in common usage round here at the time. So this is the road to Casterton, and it continues on to Sedbur, where you can find another boarding school. I took the opportunity recently to interview its deputy head, Lottie Tullock. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Lottie. Now, I've been talking about the school at Cowan Bridge, set up in the 1820s, but Sedbur is a lot older than that, isn't it? It certainly is. Yeah, Sedbur School has been here uh, since 1525, and we're just at the cusp of uh, launching our 500th anniversary um, festivities um, in a few years' time. But the school was founded by Roger Lupton, um, who was a local man born in Courtley, just down the valley here in the parish of Sedbur. And he provided a chantry school um, here on the site in 1525, while he was also the provost of Eton. And he'd bought some land, developed a small school on there and generously donated uh, money to the scholarship and the education of those children. Uh, it hasn't been continuous, very small break in education, um, but it came back to life again in uh, 1551. And at times there are only eight children here at school and it's built up and built up, eventually re-endowed as a grammar school. And those numbers gradually built up to where we are today with 560 children who have been boys since 1525 and co-educational um, for the last 20 years. My walk for this episode is taking me to Casterton School, and when I lived in the area, I knew it as Casterton Girls' School, 
But that's changed now, hasn't it? It has, and there is still a school very much in Casterton, um, called Casterton Sedba Prep School. And in 2013, um, it was announced that Sedba School uh, would be merging with Casterton. And that, that indeed was enacted um, in the September of that year, so eight years ago now. Obviously, that was met with um, huge emotion, um, understandably. Uh, Casterton School had been there nearly 200 years. We will indeed celebrate their anniversary shortly. And some of the girls and the staff there were very upset. Um, to see this announced to their school, that they would be moving from the site there at Casterton to here in Sedba. And then in reverse, our prep school for our youngest children would be moving from Sedba onto the site there at Casterton uh, to form one through school from the uh, age of nursery all the way through to 18. Um, It feels like a long time ago now. Of course, with that came movement of staff and teachers. And we gained some phenomenal teachers from the Casterton site who are still with us here in Sedba. But with that, we also actually inherited their alumni as well, who are very much part of our bigger picture of the history of the Sedba School Foundation in its entirety, including Casterton. And we've kept many things that are really important to um, to the Casterton community, some of their traditions, some of their colours, some of their famous characters, certainly the Bronte sisters. And the founder of the school, Karis Wilson, has a house, boarding house named after him here in the senior school. So you have also become the guardians of their heritage. Yeah, and that's really important. And and in some ways, the, the ties are stronger than ever before, because actually children now transition from one to the next, from Casterton to Sedba at the age of 13. Um, and they bring with them those traditions and things unique to Casterton and actually keep them alive even more. Um, so whilst it is a different proposition, um, we've inherited a lot of what was so good about Casterton. Thinking about more recent events, how has Sedba risen to the challenges of COVID? There are certainly some... Uh, Huge difficulties and challenges that um, schools up and down the country will be picking up as we return to some semblance of normality. Um, But I think our children here at Sedbra have been incredibly fortunate um, in that we have seamlessly now on multiple occasions transitioned from real life in-person teaching with everything that goes with that uh, to an online school. Now, academically, um, that's been easy to do, and I don't feel our children have have missed a beat, but that isn't all that Sedba School offers these children, and they have really missed, many of them have really missed the camaraderie, the sport, the social side of life, um, the being away from home, the independence, and for, understandably, many of our children, as with every child in the country, this has caused huge, huge uncertainty. We are, amongst our 550 strong cohort, nearly 100 of those children live overseas, and the implications of international travel have caused all sorts of um, really difficult times for them. Children trapped in transit, unable to get home. Uh, Some of them have been with us here for greater time than perhaps they'd anticipated. We've absolutely looked after them. I think they've had a wonderful time, but but the uncertainty of flights in and out has caused really real difficulty for some of them. And that aspect of not being able to get home, I mean, surely that has an impact on childhood development the simple things you might do at home with your parents you wouldn't necessarily do at school helping with the housework and small jobs how do you build that into life at Sedba? Mm. And, and you know this is a question actually of boarding school in general um, irrespective of disruption I think the key is to sort of re-imagine um, what it means to be at home and actually our children live in boarding houses which are communities and with community comes responsibility, comes trust, comes relationship forming, all the things you do at home but just on a bigger scale. The beauty of 21st century boarding education is that those links are 
so much more uh, open than they ever used to be. And uh, and whilst a child may be here with us at school, FaceTime and Zoom only means that uh, they're even more connected to home than perhaps they uh, ever used to be. And, and therefore their relationship as a boarder and with us as a school, as a boarding school, is very much more open between children and home and school. That said, it's not a life of luxury here. They do live in boarding houses, which come with all sorts of responsibilities. You know, namely, they often share bedrooms. That's something they often don't do at home these days at their age. They have to stay tidy. They have to keep their laundry off the floor and put it in the washing baskets. They still have recycling to take out, household jobs. And and they're, they're resident with adults, obviously care for them, boarding housemasters and housemistresses. And and they're very much part of their family and their family will eat with them and dine with them and socialise with them. And actually, you know, if, if the housemaster's four-year-old wants to go outside and play football, then what better than to send him out with a, with a group of teenagers to play with him? Um, and there is that sense of we're all in this as one big family together. Um, so they certainly don't come here in a, in a hotel style. They come here to form part of a big family which actually is harder than your normal family at home and occasionally less forgiving. And, and as a result of that, they learn to develop the fortitude, resilience and flexibility to cope with, with the wider world because they're able to juggle those conflicting skills. And with that comes the responsibility for their pastoral care as well. How on earth do you manage the pastoral care of so many children? Mm. Uh on one level, very strict and rigid structures and policies and systems in place. But every school offers that. Actually, what do we offer to manage their pastoral care is a very open and honest community, uh, one which values children. It is a small school in relative terms. And we have most of our staff living here on site with them. And our children know adults and they know one another and they have people to turn to, people to talk to. And more so than perhaps any other school environment, they also rely far more on their peers um, who are phenomenally good at looking out for one another. So, you know, on a very practical level, we we sit down to dine together. We know them like they are our own children. And and we encourage a really open and honest, honest conversation. It's been hard during COVID. There's no doubt about it. And when we haven't physically got them here in front of us and we've reached out and done as much as we can to keep that that sense of spirit and community going. Um, but it's certainly easier when they're here in front of us day in, day out. And of course, because of that, they're here all day, every day. Then that's how we can see changes in things, nip things in the bud, discuss things with them. Um, it's a very honest school in that respect. You spoke before of having 100 or so children from overseas. What benefits do you see in having an international outlook in the school? Mm. Well, it, it's twofold. It benefits the community and it benefits the individual. Um, for our international children, of whom they fall into many camps, um, some are expatriate British families living overseas who move around every few years and for whom this is stability in their education. Some are children who live in remote areas and for whom education full stop um, needs to be sought at a distance, particularly thinking of perhaps some of our Kenyan children who live in the Maasai Mara, who need uh, somewhere to go to school. And, th and this is a in some ways a really natural fit to them. Um, and then we also have children who are born and raised in all sorts of cities and countries around the world, and they bring an extraordinarily important diversity to our community. There's no hiding the fact that being based in the northwest, in rural northwest England, doesn't expose us to the wonderful, diverse um, world in which we live. And actually having those different perspectives allows our children to understand the wider world um, in, which they, in which they operate. Now, 28 Dales Later is about celebrating the north, much of which is rural, much of which has got a tremendous heritage as well. So what's your favourite walk or activity or aspect of local heritage in this area? 
Seppa's school is very famous for its ability to let our children not be wrapped up in cotton wool. We keep them safe, but we let them go and explore, explore the fells around us, swim in the rivers. And we have a, a great tradition for fell running. And, and probably my favourite route is our traditional school run, which is called the Wilson Run. This is a 10 mile fell race through the hills, through rivers. It's particularly tough. Um, and it's been going for hundreds of years, record stand. And every old Sebergian talks fondly about their time when they ran the Wilson Run. And it is both beautiful and bleak in equal measures. And a, it's a route and a course that takes on an identity of its own, depending on the time of year and the weather. Getting a bit more intrigued by boarding schools and with a feeling that it might unlock something more about the Brontes, I also interviewed one of my best friends about his experience at another nearby boarding school. Toby, you were at boarding school not far from Sedba. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I went to um, a small independent boarding school which is about three miles outside of Kendall, a place called Home Park, which unfortunately isn't there anymore. It's been uh, now sold off to independent flats. and uh, But it was set out really kind of in the wilds. It's just down the hills and the moors uh, on the road to Sedba. Um, but it was about 70, 60, 70 boys. I started boarding there when I was seven and I left when I was 11. So I was, started going there in 1984. <laughs> We had to wear shorts as a uniform and we wear great socks and shorts and a kind of a blue jumper. And that, that was it. That was a uniform. And then this big old house on the blowing hills of Cumbria. And remember, we kind of just been cold. <laughs> being very grateful for going home because it was a bit warmer there. So you were just there during the week then? I was only there from Monday to Friday. I used to go home at weekends. Uh, which was always great. Go and look forward to my mum's cooking. Boarding school cooking, a very traditional English fare of kind of porridge for breakfast. And and you were there from when you were seven. I'm sure you must have been told that you would be going, but what was it like when you were delivered to the school on that day? I remember it very vividly. And I, you know, I have a photo and still have of me stood there looking very, very young in my in my shorts and my blazer and my socks looking pretty nervous i didn't really know my i've got an older sister who's three years older and um they had a few, a few girls at the school so she was kind of there to you know look after me a bit but it was it was incredibly daunting and you know i, I remember crying so then my sister tells me that yeah you know i cried and cried and cried and i i don't blame myself looking back you know i was seven years old and I was kind of dropped off and then I was on my own and had to get on with it and make friends and learn the rules and learn how to make my own bed and learn how to make uh, my chair and then learn how to you know do school because I'd never done you know kind of big school before and I had to learn how to do homework and then learn Latin grammar and how to play cricket and all these kind of stuff. And it was, it was, uh, it was intimidating. And of course it's all boys. So you're in a dorm and kind of a bit like going into the army at times. And, uh, they kind of have older boys looking after you and also older boys terrorizing you. It was, um, it was only really when I read Lord of the Flies when I was about 13, I kind of looked back and went, uh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> 
there was some good bits. I remember having some very, very good friends, you know, very close friends, you know, having some good times, but also getting really terrorized and getting bullied and being, being very fearful and uh, not also having some good times on the, on the back of that as well. It was certainly, um, it certainly built character. But uh, it was it was it was very very old fashioned in that sense as well. I think I've been talking about the TB epidemic at the Bronte School in Cowan Bridge, and also talking to Lottie at Sedba about how they've managed COVID. But the years you were there, eighty four to eighty seven, that means you would have been at school within that institutional bubble when Chernobyl happened, and in the north that was a big thing because the winds were blowing in our direction. What was it like to be at the school at that time? Again, this is, you know, the mid-1980s, so we only had television and, and dial phones. There was no internet. So we were told this information. I think maybe we were allowed to watch the news. We were given newspapers we could read, which was a treat because this didn't normally happen. It was, it was a big event, and we were told that it's really, really serious. And we knew that it was serious, but um, we probably weren't as scared as probably the adults were. I think we're probably more concerned about what we're probably going to be having, you know, for dinner that night. Maybe a good dessert with custard. No, maybe I still do remember the kind of the fear that certainly all the adults had about it. Scary times. So to wrap up, what were the perks of having had that experience? Um, I grew up, I think, a bit faster, and I was became a lot more independent. At a very young age, I mean, I always say I became independent at seven years old because I had to learn how to do all these things or get punished for it. Because, again, it was it was a corporal punishment. If you didn't do your homework, if you talk back, you got the stick, you got beaten. And uh, I remember that certainly a few times, <laughs> a few times I deserved it, a few times I didn't. But it taught me discipline and independence and looking after myself. We were left and there were large kind of times where we were sort of set free in the countryside. We could kind of go off and do our things and we weren't supervised, I don't think, half as much as the current generation is. The time before health and safety, which actually did have its benefits because we just kind of got on and did things and we didn't worry about it too much. And I don't think the adults worried about it too much. It made me more regimented, but in a good way. It did make me a little bit more distrusting of authority in some ways as well i think i rebelled against that later on but it made me just able to get on and do things because sometimes you don't have the option of uh, asking for help there wasn't anyone to turn to so you just had to get on and do it yourself so did charlotte's time at cowan bridge school plant the seeds of her defiant spirit and healthy distrust of authority, particularly that of men. Discipline and independence would have certainly come in handy in the Bronte household, considering Patrick's propensity for staying in his study, even for meals. And I know from personal experience that an extended stay with my auntie and uncle when I was seven had a profound and positive effect on my interests, which I've carried forward to this day. But do you know what's troubling me now? I don't think I'll be able to enjoy Harry Potter's adventures at Hogwarts in the same way after this episode.
thank you for listening to 28 Days Later. If you'd like to find out more about the Brontes at school, then head over to bronteschoolhouse.com. And you could even book yourself a little holiday whilst you're there.